0: we've been doing a series called Freedom Is. I hear the sound of freedom that has been the theme, the word that God put on our heart. I hear the sound of freedom and I tell you what, I hear it. I hear it in those baptisms. I've been hearing it in countless stories of people experiencing the transformational power of Jesus and I'm seeing people set free and I hear the sound of freedom. And today the theme is Freedom is, and so my message today is freedom is having an edge over your enemies. Freedom is having an edge over your enemies. I was reading Psalm 119 and this, this line, this word just jumped out at me. And I really, I just, God was just speaking to me through it. And I want to read that to you. It says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. In the New Living Translation, it says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Commands, His instruction, His word. I love the Message Translation. It says, Oh, how I love all that you've revealed, all of this. I reverently ponder it all day long. Your commands give me an edge over my enemies. They are never obsolete. Freedom is having an edge over our enemies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for everything that you are already doing. Lord, we thank you for the work and those seven incredible sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for their freedom that is theirs through you. And I thank you for our freedom that you came to purchase. Lord, it's it's no secret that we have enemies of our soul. It's no secret that there is a spiritual enemy of our soul. And God, as you speak to us today, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid. I pray that we wouldn't, know, we wouldn't misunderstand and wouldn't believe that we lack power, but we would fully acknowledge the power given to us through your Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we do have an edge over our enemies because of you, Jesus. And would you teach us and speak to us? Amen. So I just want to acknowledge that we have three enemies over er, three enemies of our soul. Um, we have the enemy that is our world, that's our culture, the world that we live in, the culture that is more aligned to sin than it is to the will of God, and so we have that enemy that wants to, you know, um, distract us and and take us away what God from what God has for us. And then the second enemy that we have is ourselves. We can totally be our own worst enemy, we sabotage, we don't believe, we doubt, we neglect important things, we give up on good things too easy, we hold on to the wrong things for too long, we can totally be our own worst enemy. But the third enemy and the enemy that I'm going to speak about today Um, is our spiritual enemy, the one referred to in the Scripture as the devil, as Satan. Um, He's the enemy that we're going to learn about today based on the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And I'm going to be speaking out of Luke verse 4, though it's recorded in Matthew and Mark as well. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 4 verse 1. And I just have to start with the disclaimer that I'm talking about something quite mysterious. I'm talking about something that we can't see with our physical eyes. It's it's in the unseen, it's in the spiritual realm and, and it requires a bit of faith um, and it requires a lot of scripture for understanding. And so that's everything that I am speaking about today is from the word and so that's what we're gonna do, right? Okay, so we don't need to be afraid. Luke chapter four, let's just read it, shall we? So what has happened is Jesus has just been baptised And it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, not by the devil, led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. It had been 40 days, fair enough. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I can give it to whom I will. Really boasting on the kind of power that he had. And he said, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then he, the devil, took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, it says. Until an opportune time. Three things that stuck out to me about the devil. One, that he was willing to wait. He was willing to wait. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a panic. But he was willing to sit there for 40 days, and wait until Jesus was really hungry before he made his first move, his first attempt, the one of three. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Waiting. You know, we watch lots of Planet Earth episodes in our house We love the African specials, and, yeah, and, you know, those lions, they crouch down, they wait. It's a patience game, and they have it, and they wait for the right moment when one of their prey is vulnerable, and they go after it. And that same character is described to Jesus, and it's what we see here in the temptation, isn't it? He waits for 40 days. And then he comes to Jesus, who's hungry, and he says to him, "Turn the stone into bread." And I just think, really lame attempt. Like he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Of course he's hungry but like, is he actually going to fall into that trap for a loaf of bread? When you think about that, um, someone over there would, when you think about the devil waiting, it actually made me think of the serpent and Eve. See, isn't it interesting that he came to Eve when she was alone? And I just wonder how long he kind of sat there waiting until she was separated from Adam to make his move. And so here's Here's the, the devil, and he's offered Jesus a bread, and, and, and I think that that's lame. But then I realized it's worked before. See, Isaac, who was the son of Jacob. No, Isaac, the son of Abraham. And Jacob was his son. Yeah, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he had two sons, Esau and Isaac. And Esau was the eldest, and so he's the heir. So he, gets, he has the birthright, and he gets the inheritance and all of that. And Jacob, whose name actually means the deceiver, which is the same word to describe the character of the devil in the book of Revelation, he's standing there and he's cooking this meal. And in comes Esau, the eldest son, the heir, and he comes in and he's been out hunting for goodness knows how long and he's starving. He hasn't eaten in a long time and he walks in and he smells the food and Jacob says, here, I'll give you this meal, uh, but you have to give me your birthright and Esau makes that trait. He gives him his birthright for a meal. And it seems ludicrous to me, but I think we fall into this trap more often than we are willing to believe. See, as believers, as followers of Jesus, when we accept Him into our heart, when we invite Jesus into our heart and we are filled with the Spirit, we become a new creation. We actually become born again. And we are born again with new birthrights. And our birthrights are hope. Our birthrights are freedom. Our birthrights are peace. Our birthrights are joy. Our birthright is security, our birthright is our identity, and it is incredible what we are willing to trade when we're vulnerable, when we're spiritually hungry. I had to say to Violet and Charlie who would just, I had to say to them, no more trading at school. They would always take their football cards to school or Pokemon cards or whatever was great at the time. And every day they'd come home crying because they made bad trades with someone older than them. And so no more trading. But we make these kind of poor, bad trades all of the time. And when we're vulnerable, when we're hungry, when we're spiritually empty, and the devil is willing to wait until we are to make his move. It's incredible what we will trade. So we see, like, we see Eve fall into this trap. We see Esau fall into this trap. We see so many people fall into this trap. We fall into this trap. Jesus didn't. So, what was it about Jesus? What wisdom did he carry that we can learn from? Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Jesus was so familiar with scripture that he could not be manipulated. He was so familiar with the Word of God that he knew that the commands of God, the instruction of God, was his weapon against the tactics of the enemy. He had set a trap, but Jesus wouldn't get in. If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone second thing I noticed about the devil is that he offered Jesus a counterfeit calling. He offered Jesus a counterfeit calling. See, the devil's second attempt was to offer Jesus a shadow version today of what God had for him tomorrow. See, he took Jesus up and he he showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he said, all of this kingdom, this could all be yours. And we've been learning about the kingdom of God and how not of this world it is. And God had predestined that Jesus would be the king of the kingdom of God, the king of kings, the king of a kingdom that is so not of this world. And the devil comes to him and he says, all this kingdom, all of these kingdoms, it could be yours. Appealing to the calling of God on his heart. He does the same thing to us. You know, I've learned not to assume that every opportunity comes from God, that every good opportunity is from God. See, In hindsight, I can see that I've said yes to things because they appealed to the calling on my heart because I had a sense that that's what God had for me in the future, but it was the wrong timing. It was too soon. And I don't believe it was from God. It says in Proverbs twenty twenty one that an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed in the end. I believe we fall into that trap all the time, trying to grab today what God has for us tomorrow. I think of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, the father of Israel. And Abraham was 75 years old. And God spoke to him and said, you will be the father of a nation, like countless Countless sons and daughters will come from you. And he's like, okay, um, but I don't have any children, and I'm 75, and his wife Sarah was 65 at the time. Now, I did some Googling, and the oldest person to ever on record to have a baby is 65. That happened, actually, um, yeah, I think 2026. 2026. 2006. Oh. Hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Oh, my word. But 65, can you imagine? That was with IVF. And so here's Sarah, and she doesn't have IVF, so it's already like a miracle, right? And so she might be like, okay, all right, he said that. But then it wasn't until she was 90 that that they had their son. And so in the middle, in all of that time of waiting, 25 years, you can see why Sarah was like, okay, okay. I think I have to do something about this promise. She's like, okay, God said that Abraham, that, that you will be the father of, of a nation. So we need a, you need to have an heir. So I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you my, my servant, Hagar, and you're going to have a baby with her. And, and that's going to be what we're going to do. See, there was a gap between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And it's in that in-between that, that the devil, that the enemy, he really prefers to make his move. It's in the in-between. It's when you're still waiting. It's when God, what God has promised hasn't happened yet. That's when he prefers to make his move. See, and that's when he made his move on Jesus. So there's Jesus in the middle. He's, he's clothed in flesh. He's in the wilderness. He's in the in-between. He's man on earth. He hasn't yet conquered death. He hasn't yet taken his place on his heavenly throne. And in that gap is where the devil set his second trap, offering Jesus today a shadow of what God has for him tomorrow. And how does he respond? I love this. It is written. Again, he goes to the commands of God and he actually responds. His way of fighting back against the temptation of the devil is to actually speak out, the first commandment the commands of God he says it is written worship the Lord your God and serve him only you know Jesus actually tweaked that commandment and he said um, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment he said worship the Lord your love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength so when you're in the middle and You start to be offered today a lesser version of what you know God has for you tomorrow. I tell you what, when that temptation comes, it's really hard. It's really hard. We start to justify. We start to play it out. Maybe this is, maybe it's okay. And I tell you what, it's going to require a lot of your strength to keep on walking past that temptation. But guess what? God asks us to love him with all of our strength. He asks us to love Him with all your heart. So whenever you get these temptations thrown at you, when you're in the middle, when you're in the waiting, your weapon, what you can come back with is, actually, it is written, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And it's gonna require a lot of my strength to keep on walking past this temptation right now. But strength is what I have, and strength is what God asked me to love Him with. And so I'm gonna keep on walking. I'm going to believe that he has good things for me, and I'm going to keep my feet firmly planted on the path of righteousness. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the truth. And resistance requires our strength, and our strength is what Jesus asks us to love him with. And I think so often we think that we're running out and that we don't have enough. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you have enough to keep on walking. Oh, I love all you've revealed. I ponder it all day long. Your commands give me an edge over my enemies. Third thing that stuck out to me was that the devil knew Scripture too. you notice that? He knew Scripture as well. His first two attempts, uh, Jesus responded to him with, it is written, did you notice that? Each one of, his, of Jesus' replies of His coming back was, it is written. And then if we have a look to the third attempt, the devil led him to Jerusalem. He had, his, he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. So he saw that his first two tried and tested attempts didn't work. And so he goes, he, he tweaks his strategy to the one thing he sees that has authority over Jesus, over his decision-making, over his will. That's what he does to us. He twists and he tweaks his strategy at every attempt. And he hones in on what has authority over your decision-making and over your will. I wonder what has authority over your decision-making and over your will, he will use it. His strategy to trap Jesus was adapted and tweaked in every attempt. I have so experienced that in my life. Have you experienced that? It's like the opposition. It's like every time I get stronger, every time I get smarter, he keeps tweaking it and honing in on my vulnerabilities and taking advantage of those weak moments. He gets the person to say just the, right thing at the right moment that would be like that perfect storm in your life. So the devil, he quoted scripture, but he twisted the meaning. It's so gross when people do that. I hate it. It's okay to like misuse it accidentally, but when it's a twisting, you know, like that's not nice. But Jesus, he knew the scriptures so well. He knew the commands and the instruction of God so well that it naturally flowed from him. And so he couldn't be manipulated by it. He saw the twisting and he wasn't, he wasn't gonna be fooled. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. We're all gonna face spiritual resistance you're gonna face spiritual resistance. It's not something to be afraid of. The devil has no power over you other than the power that you give him. And unfortunately, we give him too much power all of the time, which is why I really felt to bring this message that freedom is having an edge over our enemy, because we really do have an edge over our enemy. Just through the commands of God, we have an edge over our enemies. If you've determined in your heart that no spiritual attack would separate you from Jesus, then you've already won. You've already got the victory. It will only make you stronger. But we need to know what to do when this resistance comes, when the temptations come, because they come at just the right time when it's really, really, really hard. And maybe you're like, how do I know if it's spiritual resistance? How do I even know that that's what's happening? And so I tell you, when when things start getting really chaotic around you, when there are lots of things wearing you down, distracting you, when your mind is out of control and you can't seem to grab a hold of it, when there's like a heaviness around you, when there's fear, lots of fear, worst case scenario, anxiety, when there's division in your relationships, just lots of aggravations. It's when you look around and you think, what is going on here? It's like everything is boiling up, ready to boil over. I tell you, that's the work of the enemy. He's got his handprint all over that. And he shows us how to respond. Your commands give me an edge over my enemies, may they never become obsolete. You know, I, we've had so much spiritual resistance this year as a family, so much. And it was maybe a month or so ago, I would just felt like I was just putting out all of these fires and then I was like, hang on a minute. I know what this is. And so I went outside. I didn't know if the spiritual realm could hear me or if it made any difference, but if anything, it was just for me. And I went out and I was like, I know what you're doing. You've made me really mad now. You know what I do when I get mad. And so I went out and I brought pink post-it notes and permanent marker. And I sat down, worship music on, opened my Bible and I started just writing out all of these scriptures, all of these scriptures. My son, Micah, he's got severe asthma and this year has been so awful for him for his breathing. We are in hospital just two weeks ago. And so I was like, oh. And so I put put, um, scriptures of healing on his walls. I put scriptures of the breath of God on this wall that the Spirit of God has made me, that the breath of the Almighty will give me life. Next to my coffee machine, it says that God gave gave them peace on all sides. It says on earth as it is in heaven. On my fridge, it says give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is His will for your life. It says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In my living room, it says if God is for us, who can be against us? It says that my praise will always be on my lips. In our bathroom, it says do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, for your heavenly Father knows that you need this. Them. The pagans run after those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you as well. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I put in Charlie's room, be strong and courageous for God is with you. And he said, Mom, my middle name's brave. I don't need that. I need this one. And it said, clothe yourself in kindness and gentleness and compassion. I was like, okay, Charlie, cool. Do it. And then you know, in our bed, in our bedroom, we've got some. In our bathroom, we've got some. Next to Joel's mirror, it says, "For I walk by faith and not by sight." And um, one day, I was feeling annoyed at somebody in my house, and I won't name any names. And I, and I was washing my hands, and I looked up in the mirror, and it says, "For the battle is not with flesh and blood, but it was, it's against powers and principalities of darkness." And I was like, I know where to put my energy. And it's not in an argument here. It also said that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the power to demolish strongholds. There's a lot of verses. There's a lot of verses. But what was really cool was that Micah was just telling me at the breakfast table, Mom, I need this, I need this, I need this. And Charlie was like, is that a need or a want, Micah? And then Violet, I know, so good. And Violet from the lounge yells out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I was like, come on, Violet. She's eight years old. And if she can know how to wield the sword that is the Word of God at eight years old, man, if we can learn This word is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And if we can learn to wield this, I mean, just that one command alone against the devil. Actually, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And if I go there, that's not doing that. So,